Today at the U.S. Supreme Court, Americans of all ages, backgrounds, and beliefs came together to stand with Louisiana to protect women and protect life. As our Protect Women, Protect Life rally took place on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court, the nine justices were inside hearing oral arguments in June Medical Services versus Russo concerning basic health and safety protections for Louisiana women. Catherine Glenn Foster, president and CEO of Americans United for Life, witnessed to life outside the court, while Clark Forsyth, senior counsel at Americans United for Life, sat in the court to observe oral arguments. Catherine and Clark join us to break down what happened and what's next. I'm Tom Shakley, and this is Life, Liberty, and Law. I'm Tom Shakley, and this is Life, Liberty, and Law, and we're thrilled to speak today with Catherine Glenn Foster and Clark Forsyth. How are you both doing? Doing great. Thank you. Good day. Absolutely. And we've also got our own Noah Brandt here with us as well. These are two legal heavy hitters, and they both are going to have such unique, amazing perspectives. Catherine was one of the people leading this gigantic rally outside the Supreme Court, while Clark got to sit in and watch these nine justices make potentially the most important life-related decision in 30 years. So I can't wait to hear from these guys. Absolutely. So Catherine, starting with you, outside the court, the Protect Women, Protect Life rally Describe to us the scene for those of us who weren't there. Of course, we, we streamed this on Facebook Live, so you can go on Americans United for Life and watch this as it unfolded. But describe for us, for folks who weren't there, what are the things you wouldn't see? Uh, outside the court, it was such an exciting scene. There was so much that you wouldn't see from the video. You would see the incredible lineup of speakers from senators, members of Congress, pro-life leaders. We had New Orleans, former New Orleans Saint and now New England Patriot Ben Watson. Wasn't that awesome? It was incredible just to have this, this broad spectrum of Americans standing for life outside the courthouse. But what you wouldn't see is just how many people were there, how many people came and stood outside the, the Supreme Court to stand for life, holding signs and, and wearing stickers and t-shirts and, and wearing the color of the day, which was teal, but just coming and joining together to, to do some outreach, to stand for life, to extend, um, to extend hope to, uh, to, to those who were there, to even the other side and, and to folks across America. Yeah. And that's the context, right? Is that as the life affirming rally, the protect women, protect life rally is occurring right next to it. This is the way the Supreme Court works right next to it. You have an opposing rally. We had an oppo abortion rally. <laughs> Right. We had this pro-abortion rally right next door at the same time. And so when you say extend uh, conversations in hope and, and engage folks, there was a real opportunity for that. I know many people did that in walking around myself. You know, we saw people uh, literally, I mean, everything from uh, school teachers in Louisiana who came up to witness today, um, you know, mothers and fathers with their children who came out today to be there. Uh, folks of all of all ages and backgrounds there outside presenting, I think, a hopeful message, a hopeful visual for folks who so often see this stuff get dragged down in really difficult and uninviting language. And I think this was an important day to help explain really the case at issue in Louisiana. Now, Clark, you were in the court. 
Tell us about that as oral arguments began in this June Medical Services case, formerly June Medical Services versus Guy, now renamed June Medical Services versus Russo. What happened in the court? Well, the context is radically different because you've got the nine justices uh, who are um, listening to an intense argument by, this time it was three lawyers, and um, except for those... Uh, the justices and the lawyers, everything else, everybody else is tightly controlled to be absolutely silent for an hour, uh, and it was an intense. It was an intense argument, um, uh, and um, I could see that uh, Chief Justice Roberts and Justices uh, Kavanaugh uh, were, uh, especially and and Thomas, were intently listening to the att- attorneys on both sides, uh, and it started off um, about the. Ability, uh, whether uh, abortion uh, abortionists should be able to represent women in court, which is which has been a terrible cloud over abortion uh, cases for forty five years. I mean, can you imagine any other medical procedure in the United States where doctors get in go into court and basically tell courts that their patients don't need health and safety regulations? This is what Steve Aden at American Center for Life has written on in his recent op ed about, you know, he's giving in the analogy of, of dentistry, right? Yeah, he, Steve was just published in the Washington Examiner. Uh, our listeners can go look it up, just Steve Aiden, Washington Examiner. And he went on this extended analogy of, you know, consider your dentist, you know, you're sitting in the dental chair and your dentist talking about how, oh, he's going to court to wipe out all of the safety protections meant to protect you, the patient, you know? And, and then on top of it, he's not even going to disclose his own name because, right, Clark? In this case, these abortionists who are suing on behalf, quote-unquote, on behalf of their patients, they haven't even released who they are. They're anonymous. And, but they, and, and their response is, well, abortion's so safe. They're such a low complication rate. But as the... A solicitor general who represents Louisiana was defending the law said they don't know what their complication rate is. Sure, because they're not required to track it, right? And there's if there's no regulation for it, then how do we have any assurance that there's actual positive outcomes? What do you think, Catherine? So we're talking about, and this is something that we heard a lot from the other rally outside. We had sort of the pro-life rally and then the pro-abortion rally. And the pro-abortion people keep saying over and over again, you know, Laws like this Louisiana law are unnecessary because abortion is just so safe. There's never any complications. It's the safest thing that could possibly happen to you. But we heard in this rally from numerous abortion survivors, women who have had abortions, and man, it doesn't sound safe. It sounds like there's some real lasting negative impacts. You're absolutely right. And by the way, when we say it was the pro-abortion rally, we're literally meaning, we're taking that from their own sign. They were holding signs that literally said pro-abortion. So we're not talking about pro-choice anymore. We're talking pro-abortion. And we're sharing the real estate in front of the court with these folks. And and so it it was obviously contentious inside the court. Uh, It it seemed contentious rally versus rally outside the court because sometimes they would try to shout us down and play their music really loudly and and try to drown us out. But it was those uh, those one-on-one conversations where you could really 
start communicating with people. And I got to talk to so many different people outside the court where when you, when you take away the, uh, all of the, the strictures and, the, uh, and, and the, the formality of the rally and you just get on that one-on-one relational basis and get to know people, I, I, I would stop people and say, hey, I like your T-shirt, you know, it was a nice shirt. And then all of a sudden you're engaging them in conversation and, and you're able to connect and you're starting to, to build some bridges and, and share some facts about abortion. And you're right about abortion being unsafe. You know, I, I know that personally, but but you don't have to take my word for it. You can look at the abortion industry's own statistics. We know from their statistics, uh, statistics from the Guttmacher Institute, uh, the, the research arm of Planned Parenthood is how it was founded. We know that literally dozens of women every year in Louisiana are transferred directly from the abortion facility to the hospital because of complications that took place in the abortion facility. This is beyond all the women who, who may experience complications later on that evening or the next day. You know, maybe they, they have a fever, potential sepsis. Maybe, maybe they're bleeding too much and there could be hemorrhage, perforated uterus, perforated bowel, all of these things that we know sometimes happen with abortions. Um, but, but dozens of women every year just transfer directly. It's that it's that serious. 210 women in Texas alone in one single year. We know that women, um, sometimes sometimes those abortions get, get, get botched. And when that happens, women deserve emergency care. Women deserve every possible chance to save their lives, to save their future fertility. And that's what the Louisiana law in question is all about. You know, in a certain sense, it's really not even about abortion. It's about saying, can a state like Louisiana implement a law that ensures continuity of care that says that procedures done in medical settings have to meet a certain standard. And that's, you know, where we draw on the point about dentistry and any other analogy is if we can apply that, that sense, that common sense perspective to say, if there's risk, if there's risk, especially if something as serious as, as death, not just complications, but actual death, doesn't the state have an important role to play in assuring life? And one of the, one of the themes that the Attorney for Louisiana, Liz Merle, uh, pressed upon the justices time and time again was, this is not Texas, meaning that what the court did with the Texas case back in 2016 on a similar law doesn't apply here because Louisiana has made clear uh, dozens of deficiency reports on clinics, dozens of reports about complications and problems and scandals and... um, uh, shoddy practices going back a long time in Louisiana. And she made that point very well. And if you're listening to this and you think, yeah, I don't know, I'm not really sure where my, where my allegiance falls on this issue, let us underscore, when we're talking about you know, a state's ability to regulate, and you think, well, is regulation necessary? You know, fair enough as a question. In this case, we have a situation where we know, for instance, folks performing some of these abortions were not even surgeons. Right? Some of these folks were like eye doctors performing abortions. Why? Because the practice is unregulated. Can you imagine, I mean, the same idea in any other setting? Somebody who's not a surgeon going in to operate. That's a serious thing. That is a life and death question. It's a matter of competency. So when you have, you know, in a certain sense, it's not just that there were, uh, there were two rallies, a life-affirming rally and, a, unfortunately, a pro-abortion rally. It's also, to a certain degree, to oppose Louisiana's common-sense law is to affirm sort of, I mean, incompetent doctors, actually. It's a really bizarre situation. And and women are walking into these situations blind, literally, because not only are the abortionists uh, seeking anonymity. They're not told. 
Right, right. Women have no idea. We're not asking. I was 19 years old. I wasn't asking, you know, who is this doctor? What's your resume? Uh, what med school did you graduate from? And you are trust. you a surgeon? You exactly. trust, right? As the patient, as a consumer, you assume that if they're in this position, you can trust them. We assume that the state has regulated them. And when the state is is hamstrung, is prevented from regulating them, then that creates a real problem. And guess what? We, women, are the collateral damage. One of the impressions inside the court was that there's a, a, a bit terrible double standard here, that you assume health and safety regulations for every other mer- uh, area of medicine, but the court is going to exempt abortionists. They don't have to be regulated. The, the, it was clear that the liberal justices cared about one thing, access, easy, fast, access to abortion. Don't tell me about the facts. Don't tell me about the complications. Don't tell me about the injuries. Just tell me how fast can a woman get into an abortion clinic. That's all they cared about. And, and how, how many women does it take for the Supreme Court justices to care. How many women getting injured? How many women with a loss of fertility because we didn't get a smooth enough transfer to the emergency interventions that we needed? How many women does it take to have died? How many more funerals? And isn't it a shame that we even have to get to this point where we're talking about numbers, right? It's like, you know, you look at the debate over uh, the issue of, of babies who could live outside the womb if they were delivered, right? Uh, versus late-term abortions. And the folks who say, well, late-term abortions, we want to keep them. We think they're good. They're fine. It doesn't matter if the baby could survive outside the womb. And they'll say that. They'll say, well, late-term abortions hardly ever happen. You know, and Alexander DeSantis and others have dug into the numbers and say, what does that mean, hardly ever happen? And they look at the numbers and they say, we're still talking about actually like tens of thousands of human beings so you can say maybe statistically in comparison to other things it hardly ever happens, but numerically tens of thousands. And it's the same for women in Louisiana and elsewhere. We say, you know, oh, okay, what's the actual failure rate? What's the actual fatality rate? How many are being armed? How many is enough? Do you get a sense, Clark, that the, the justices are, are kind of getting into that issue? No, because there's no reliable data. And, and that wasn't seriously questioned enough. I mean, the attorney for Louisiana, Liz Merle, made that case time and time again. She started with a recitation of the facts and the problems and the long history. And they, um, liberal justices just kind of cut her off. They didn't want to hear that. They really? Didn't want her, they didn't want to hear the recitation of the facts. When you're in the Supreme Court, I think, you know, for most folks, I know for me, you know, it's like I grew up seeing things like Judge Judy on TV, right? Like, we don't know what a Supreme Court setting is like, the decorum. I think that idea that, you know, that's kind of sort of dead silent. That's certainly the opposite of how it was outside, right, Catherine? Absolutely. Um, Tom loves Judge Judy. (laughs) For our listeners, I know that's Tom's favorite show. I know. I am sad that she's retiring, but I'm glad that I'm sure she'll go into syndication. Tom is hoping that the next Supreme Court vacancy is filled by Judge Judy. Yeah, that's... You've seen the polling, actually. There's some there's some percentage of Americans who assume that she's a Supreme Court justice. She 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 was That's doing that's a real really thing. Well. Yeah, you know, Catherine, with with this rally, you've been to a lot of these things. You've been a pro life leader for years, and you you got to speak at the rally. You know, there's all these terrific speakers, like we said, Ben Watson, Cinder John Kendi from Louisiana, uh, House Whip Steve Scalise, pro life physicians. When you spoke, what was the point that you wanted the people to hear? If you if, if you could talk to all those cameras and the hundreds of people there, what was the message you were trying to get across? You know, my message was that this law is about protecting women. 
I talked about a number of different things. I talked about our YouGov poll. We teamed up with YouGov and, and found out that a supermajority of Americans support Louisiana-style laws, support protecting women. A plurality of Democrats even in that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I talked about the brief we filed on behalf of 207 members of Congress, more than any other brief in any other abortion-related case in American history. We had more members of Congress sign on to this brief and call on the court to protect Louisiana women, to let Louisiana protect Louisiana women. But, you know, the the main message here is that this is a day of justice. It's been a long time coming and that Louisiana's mission, our mission is to protect women and to protect life. And that's what we're all about. We want to give life a chance and let doctors do their jobs to save women. This has been a multi-generational struggle in America and it seems to be on track to continue for many years to come in various ways as the life spectrum of issues grows and, you know, as the life issues become even more contentious in some ways, but also closer to solution in in other ways. Clark, what is your feeling from having witnessed the oral arguments today? You know, I'm not asking you to make a prediction, um, but what's your gut tell you about where things might be headed? It it looks like the court today is, is poised to take some kind of baby steps in the direction of um, upholding these laws or, uh, or at least throwing this case out. And um, actually, I think that it's possible there could be a 5-4 decision in the last two weeks of June with a decision by uh, written by, or opinion written by Justice Alito uh, saying that um, abortion providers shouldn't, um, uh, shouldn't be exempted and shouldn't be able to step into court to tell the courts why their patients don't need health and safety regulations. And that would be um, a miscarriage of justice of uh, mm. 45 years that would finally be rectified. Um, because uh, when abortionists can go into court and, and tell the courts that their uh, patients don't need health and safety regulations, they uh, obscure the facts. You don't get the real facts. You don't get um, uh, the real truth about abortion and its implications. They've just obscured it for 45 years. And it would just tear the veneer off and uh, finally uh, press the courts to look at the real facts and what's going on here. So that's a 5-4 prediction with a life-affirming outcome. Catherine, what's your sense as a constitutional attorney, you know, given both the cultural aspects of this case and the legal aspects? You know, more and more we are seeing the American people standing for life. The more we see uh, some radical politicians try to pass extreme pro-abortion bills, as we saw in New York passed, as we saw in Virginia attempted, and throughout our nation, we are seeing the American people starting to realize what abortion is and what the, the law on abortion is in America. And people are increasingly saying that they want no part of that. Even so-called, you know, self-described pro-choice Americans are saying, we want no part of that. We may be, we may be Democrats, we may be pro-choice, but that's a bridge too far. That is something that I cannot stand for. And if that's what pro-choice means, I want no part of it. And so increasingly we're seeing that. We're seeing people step back from late-term abortions. We're seeing people step back from these just foolhardy ideas of of leaving women out in the cold, not being able to protect women, not being able to, to protect life that, that can survive and thrive outside the womb. So culturally we're seeing this, this shift toward life. And increasingly we're seeing that from the court as well. We're seeing incredible opinions from Justice Thomas. We're seeing uh, very strong opinions from the lower courts as well. And more and more, I think we're seeing this shift towards towards really moving Roe 
uh, out of the American uh, out of the American consciousness and onto the scrap heap of history. It's high time we got there. We've had almost 50 years of legal scholars on both the left and the right saying that, that Roe was totally uh, adrift from the Constitution, that even Justice Ginsburg, who, as we know, is, is no pro-life advocate, but, but even she said, I support abortion. Roe was the wrong way to go about it. So we know that this is going to happen, and we believe that it will happen uh, within our lifetimes. We're going to keep fighting. Absolutely. And if, if the justices need a template on how to overturn Roe v. Wade, our own Clark Forsyth published a great article in the Georgetown, uh, the Georgetown Journal of Law and Public Policy, giving the judges a template exactly of how they could overturn Roe v. Wade. Cut and paste. Great weekend reading. Catherine, Clark, thank you both for your witness today, inside and outside the court, and thanks for breaking it down with us here on the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm Tom Shakely, and this is Life, Liberty, and Law.